You're listening to End of the Line on WRIR 97.3 FM Richmond. End of the Line is an ongoing podcast about the pipeline struggles in Virginia and the Mid-Atlantic. I'm Whitney Whiting. About the time we got here, there was mud, muddy water running all the way down the road from as far as we could see literally was a disaster in the mud and the continuance of water flowing in all directions. Hands Creek, the narrows of Hands Creek, there are two massive, massive slopes and they're steep as hell. And there's not any containment. There is not one single silt fence. I think MVP and DEQ are terrified that the State Water Control Board is gonna learn is gonna realize the authority that they have and exercise it. Ever since MVP first began clearing trees and grading slopes, residents in Southwest Virginia have been fulfilling their promise to watch every move made by Mountain Valley Pipeline's construction crews. They've seen silt clogging streams, mud sliding into roads, and silt fences overwhelmed repeatedly by even the smallest amount of rain and sediment. And to the Department of Environmental Quality, the state agency who approved the pipeline's plans, residents have been saying, we told you so. Top of that, but right behind my parents' house, which the Till Creek is at the bottom of that slope, uh, it's 80 and 90 degrees on this hillside behind them. It's all held in place by tree roots and ferns and small plants. When Mountain Valley digs through that and they disrupt all of that, you know that's going to create more erosion going into Teal Creek and more sedimentation, which is going to go downstream and ultimately end up in Smith Mountain Lake. Since early May, residents have been demanding the whereabouts of DEQ compliance officials who were supposed to conduct on-site monitoring of construction activity along every segment of the pipeline. In the absence of DEQ, residents have found that it's up to them to monitor, take photos, and submit the evidence that their own state agency is either unable or unwilling to do. I was sick to my stomach because the next breach that will probably occur will be on top of Johnson's Ridge and it will directly affect our water supply. Linda Sink woke up one morning in May to see a spring running blood red with mud and sediment through an otherwise verdant wetland near her home in Catawba Valley. It's a year-round spring that comes from the same source as her drinking water, and she and her neighbor David Hancock insist it has never run muddy in the 40 years they've lived there. Not even during a hurricane. We, you know, we've had several, several hurricanes come through. The water will get up and flood, but no sediment. It's an indicator that my spring that we do get water from is in danger because the water comes from the same source, dry run. There's a little side spring down here, uh, right downstream here, and she took a picture. It shows the water coming in from the side stream was clear, mm-hmm. and this was muddy. This, this went all the way down to the North Fork. Of course, the North Fork was muddy too, because they, they, they crossed the creek. Yes, the North Fork can run muddy, but this stream will never run muddy. Linda's neighbor pointed out that there was no construction or disturbed areas near the spring, 
but they do live in an area of delicate underground karst. And what, what had, had happened when they, when they did, did their digging, they had to open up a crack or something in the rock and, in the karst and the rock and in, in the sediment. We had like three inches of rain or whatever. So we had a lot of rain last weekend. We didn't get as much as a lot of people, but uh, there's no development or disturbed areas around here, so it had to come underground. That's the only way it could have came. And that's when it, and I said, I, I couldn't believe it. And, and several other neighbors saw it too, and they said, I couldn't believe it. That's when Linda says she called the DEQ to report the problem and ask that they send someone out to inspect the site. Her neighbor David reported the breach when it occurred on Friday, May 18th, a day that saw significant rainfall over the area. And in a recent summary of pollution investigations, the DEQ lists no observations from their visit to the property. Joe DeShiel of local WDBJ Channel 7 was there to report on the incident. I was talking with Linda Majors last night, and she was concerned about the lack of any kind of monitoring or oversight from DEQ out here. Is that a concern you share? Yes, I feel like they need to have somebody on board whenever they're trenching and digging on the pipeline. They need a second set of eyes. They need somebody monitoring what they're doing. Cool. So we've got at least two spots where the salt fence is failing. Yeah. And look, look at this right here. Like, that's... Oh, yeah. Oh, three spots where it's failed. On the night of Sunday, June 10th, reports filtered through social media that Dillon's Mill Road in Franklin County had been covered in mud after a small summer shower. A handful of residents from nearby Bent Mountain community went out to examine the site early the next morning. When we first got here to monitor, there's a guy in the excavator and a guy in another piece of equipment looking like they were gonna do some work and then we showed up and they stopped. One side of the construction site at Dillon's Mill is a steep slope, which was still smoldering from MVP's recent brush fire burns. The other side is a sudden drop to the bank above the Blackwater River. Mud and debris littered the road from one side to the other. It's like obviously, like whenever it overflows, if there's any rain, it's just going right down here into the creek. So there are three really obvious silt vent violations going on. And it took a little bit of time, but they finally got some precision pipeline people out here and they're digging out all of the sediment from the failed silt fences and replacing them, which is going to take some time if they do it right. Catherine Wilkins, a member of the Grassroots Coalition POWER, which stands for Protect Our Water, Heritage, and Rights, says that the only thing keeping the construction crew from continuing their regular work was the presence of watchers like themselves, taking photos of the construction failures. And what does she expect will happen when these same silt fences meet another rainstorm? Oh, the silt fences will blow out again. It's these controls are not designed to handle this much sediment on this steep a slope. And they have just these tiny little, like two, three foot high silt fences on this massive, like, what would you say that is? 60 degree slope? And this tiny little silt fence is supposed to hold all that up. It's not physically possible. It can't do it.
about the time we got here, there was mud, muddy water running all the way down the road from as far as we could see. Streaming down here and running, as you can still see here, <laughs> there's a nice little, it's almost like they made a ditch for it to go in there. Uh, it's really odd. We ran into Mary Jo Bowman the same morning of the Dillon's Mill incident. Mary Jo was out taking time-stamped photos of construction sites and recalled a recent incident on nearby Cahays Mountain Road, where muddy water was running from both access roads and construction sites into nearby streams. This is just a little stream that runs through some farms and into a flood control pond that was built, I don't know, in the 70s. Um, runs through the farm where I grew up. It feels very personal to me because of traversing my mother's home place and going within a mile of where I grew up. And, you know, this is a nice place to walk when you come to visit. We were first on site pretty much. There was only my son and I, the VDOT uh, spokesman or a person on one end and state police on the other to keep people from going through it because you literally could not drive through it. And, and they were just, they acted like it didn't even matter to them, like they didn't even care. Emily Williams was one of the first people on site at the May 18th mudslide on Cahays Mountain Road the same day as other reported breaches in Catawba Valley and elsewhere along the route. The photos that Emily and her son took that day showed inches of red mud covering Cahays Mountain Road and were shared over a thousand times on social media. The mudslide made front page news and according to DEQ, resulted in a temporary work stoppage by the company, but not an official stop work order. I spoke to Wendell and Mary Flora about the incident and their frustration over MVP's impact on the land, water, and their daily lives. girl up here uh, working on site. I went up there to check something out because every day it's something new. And Wendell can tell you that. Um, but uh, she said, uh, she told me I had to move. And I said, no, I'm not moving. You can move. I'm not moving. And I don't think your name was on the bottom of the check. I think mine was. I paid taxes on this, so I think the best thing for you to do is shut up. I don't like what's going on. I don't like how it's being done, and we don't want to be run over. So we're really glad you came this evening because if you probably come a weekday evening, they'd run you out of the road. They're getting really good about running people out of the road down here. Seems like Every time you deal with them, it's something new. Some terminology they have is new. Oh, oh no, that's a that's somebody else's, or that's a you know that's that's different. That's not related to this. You know, it's always something new, something else in the mix. The Flores, along with two other neighbors, have taken MVP to court over the failed sediment and erosion controls from MVP Construction. In their testimony. Top officials from DEQ objected to characterizing the silt fence breaches as failures. They preferred to call them maintenance issues. At the time of this recording, the Flores have been waiting over three weeks for a ruling from Judge Dillon on their case against MVP. This red mud was back to right here. Yeah. You see it up on the bank there where they didn't get it all off? Yeah. 
They might have spliced that up there. They, they've put this down since then. When well, I tell Whitney, none of this green stuff was here. Yeah, they, this green stuff was they put down Friday morning. Right over there is where, right here is where it runs down over. And, and of course, the grass has grown some more. You can't see the red mud in there now. The grass has sort of grown up around it and grown up through it. We've had rains like this before. We've had flooding. We've had all kinds of things happen. Yeah. But there has never ever, and I say that heavily, ever have we ever had any type of soil erosion come off of any part of this mountain into fields, etc. So the rain is normal, but the... the but the, the mud is not. My understanding that Mountain Valley people said that we are correcting our problem in doing erosion control. Why didn't, why wasn't that done properly, properly to begin with, you know? Why didn't they plan for these two, three, four, and five inch rains that we historically get right. springtime, summer, and fall? I think, like I've said before, they just were doing the bare minimum and hoping that nothing would happen. In the front page Roanoke Times article, DEQ contended that no sediment from the May 18th breaches entered the waterway that runs through the Flores property, Little Creek. But photos and water samples taken by Wendell that day tell a very different story. This is where it run down through the... Yeah, you can see it in the Down grass. through the grass, sir. Oh. Several pictures of that, different locations, the, the red mud and the green grass. It's real easy to see. Well, so how could they say it didn't go into Little Creek? Well, right here is where it caused the bank to cave away. See the road up here and everything? Mm hmm The muddy water? See, the mud miraculously knew not to get in the creek. But it's red. All right, see it's, right here. I mean... See, there are vehicles parked here, the creek here. There's the mud on the bank where it went right into the creek. DEQ says it didn't happen. If you're just tuning in, you're catching End of the Line, an ongoing podcast about the pipeline struggles in Virginia and the Mid-Atlantic. Catch all episodes at pipelinepodcast.org. I'm Whitney Whiting. Sitting at the Flora's kitchen table, Wendell held up jar after jar of murky water he'd sampled from Little Creek on the day that the now infamous mudslide occurred on Cahays Mountain Road, where he and his see, wife live. Now if you shake that up, it looks terrible. That's uh, 518.9, 518.9. When DEQ compliance monitor Matt Grant finally paid them a visit days later, Wendell wanted to show the jars of water filled with mud from the creek. But according to Wendell, Mr. Grant insisted it wasn't necessary for him to see the water samples. In the meantime, DEQ had already reported to the Roanoke Times that no sediment had made its way into nearby Little Creek. My talks with Wendell and Mary revealed a deep frustration at what has taken place at the expense of them and their neighbors. You know, um, we were told by a lawyer not to interfere in seven things, and that's what we tried to do, and it really hasn't gotten us anywhere, not to interfere. But 
like I say, I just, Whitney, I do not know. I don't, I don't know what to say to you. I don't know what to tell anymore. Nobody's listening to us that you're tearing up perfectly good land for nothing. So, I really just don't know, sweetheart. You know, in Monroe County, we've started to understand we can't say to people, how you doing? Because there's no way to be honest unless we, we are simply saying, uh, I'm okay at best. So... What I say now, when people say, how are you doing? I say, ah, better now that I see your face. That's my response. Because I can't say, I'm good. It's not true. Nobody can. Lori Artisan lives in West Virginia, and like her Virginia counterparts, has been documenting what she calls complete and utter failures of Mountain Valley Pipeline's sediment and erosion controls. Places along the route where construction is supposed to prevent dirt and debris from contaminating streams. Look at this wash. Look at that disaster. Oh, oh my God. And we that slumped oh down. And yeah. Howdy walked down there. Oh, and my God. Oh, my God. Oh, it gets better. <gasps> Look at It's pouring off the little bridge thing into the See, creek. See, I can make this my full-time job, you know. Yeah. But though residents may be grieving as they face the daily reality of pipeline devastation, many are still finding the courage to fight back. I think if people have not become paralyzed, it is the only thing left to give us any sense of hope, self-respect. We can't we can't sit down in the face of this tyranny. We must not. We have jumped through every hoop. We have done research and studies, and they're bona fide, and they clearly illustrate that this is a flawed project. And what's left other than direct action? We have to put our bodies on the line. called an excavator. I'm at the top of Brush Mountain and I'm in the middle of the pipeline right away and I see beautiful mountains and trees except for this nasty ugly muddy mess that Mountain Valley Pipeline has created in an attempt to earn 14% on their investment rate of return. On Thursday June 28th Emily Satterwhite, Appalachian Studies professor at Virginia Tech, climbed to the top of an excavator in what is generally referred to as a lockdown action, an attempt to prevent MVP from further work on the site. She was joined by dozens of supporters who stayed off the easement, bearing witness to her action, playing music and shouting their encouragement. I'm up here because I'm trying to alert Governor Northam and the State Water Control Board that DEQ is not giving them the information they need to protect our water. So I can see the mountain on either side of me. I can see how steep this is. I'm up here trying to figure out how they think they can dig 10 feet down to put a 42-inch pipeline 
in here without having all of this mud and sediment wash out into our drinking water. Emily's action lasted nearly 14 hours as state police tried to figure out what to do with a woman perched 20 feet up in the air. I spoke to her almost a week later about how she made the decision to do what she did and what happened afterward. We are feeling so abandoned in this fight against Mountain Valley Pipeline. We have worked so hard. Citizens have documented 20 violations that Mountain Valley Watch turned into DEQ and then heard nothing but silence. And zero violations issued by DEQ, zero stop work orders, no responsiveness whatsoever. And our elected representatives have washed their hands of it and said it's, it's completely out of their hands, that it's a federal matter. And we've been lucky to have Chris Hurst and Sam Rasool who have realized that we aren't looking for our, elect, our elected representatives to vote yes or no on something. We need them to be advocates right now. I started with the petition, you know, the petition for the, to the State Water Control Board that got, it's now at 900 signatures, it was at 800 when we first delivered it, that um, we needed the State Water Control Board to understand that we were afraid that DEQ was not giving them all the information they needed to do their job. They're behind this wall, they're behind this, this filter. I think uh, maybe it was Mary Beth at the press conference who said, or maybe it was Cynthia Munley actually, who said that um, DEQ filters the information that the State Water Control Board better than uh, the tier three waterways on Bent Mountain filter our drinking water. Um, and that's been a concern that how can we get in touch with them? And somebody reminded me that one of the things I yelled out when I was up on the excavator is, playing it safe is killing us all. On Friday, June 30th, Mountain Valley Pipeline spokesperson Natalie Cox announced that MVP was halting work in Virginia after consultation with DEQ revealed problems with erosion and sediment controls. Emily received the news from a fellow pipeline fighter the day after her action. And she said, well, we should have a party to celebrate. And I said, sounds great. I'm, I'm all about that. And she said, well, for the, the pause in the construction. I said, what? <laughs> Are you serious? <laughs> That's incredible. And try, just trying to process that and not believing that we really were gonna have a little bit of a respite that all these people who are listening to the blasting outside their homes and the clattering of the excavators and the welding of the pipes, that they were gonna have a little bit of a breather to um, regain some strength to continue the fight was seemed miraculous. And then I heard, um, I read on Blue Virginia that David Paler proudly claims that public pressure had nothing to do with the decision, and it's just disgusting. Why wouldn't the public have anything to do with DEQ's job? Why would it be about whether MVP and DEQ want to have some kind of little PR stunt where they voluntarily pause construction and um, convince the State Water Control Board that they don't need to meet? For those of us who have been watching very carefully, we don't trust DEQ anymore. We don't trust David Paler anymore. And 
to us, this looks like a way to say to the State Water Control Board, hey, don't worry, we've got this under control. You don't need to worry your pretty little heads. And I think MVP and DEQ are terrified that the State Water Control Board is going to learn, is going to realize the authority that they have and exercise it because they want to manage it so carefully and out of sight and out of mind. If our citizen board members start to ask more questions, it's a house of cards that's gonna fall apart. And DEQ does not wanna see that happen. We cannot put our, keep our heads down and do business as usual right now. Whatever fight it is that we need to be on the front lines of, we need to get on the front lines if we're one of the people who is less vulnerable to the ramifications of what we're seeing as the world unravels around us. Certainly, I think that uh, DEQ in the state of Virginia have figured out that we're not just going to shut up and sit down and be quiet and that if they don't act, we will. There's nothing else we can do and I think the older people need to be doing it. We need to allow young people to pursue their education, to find jobs where they feel settled, to begin their lives. You know, people like myself, other retirees, we need to get out here on these lines. We need to do this. It's our responsibility at this point, I feel. There's nothing else that I can imagine that is left to us. When the government stops responding, when the government absolutely bails on the citizens, we have to stand up. We have to. And it's, it's not pleasant. It's not going to be easy. But... What else can we do? We have to take care of the future of our people and that means laying it out on the line for them. More to come in the next episode of End of the Line. End of the Line is produced by Whitney Whiting with help from friends and listeners, both new and old, across Appalachia and beyond. Special thanks for this episode goes to Carolyn Riley, Wendell and Mary Flora, Mary Jane Bowman, Catherine Wilkins, Lori Artisan, Robin Scully, and Emily Satterwhite. Music by Restroy. Find the full EP at milkfactoryproductions.bandcamp.com. Additional music by Lobo Marino. Find them on lobomarinomusic.com. And as we near the end of season two, End of the Line would like to thank all those who have contributed to this program in ways both large and small, and who continue to support. Catch all past and future episodes on PipelinePodcast.org or SoundCloud.com slash PipelinePodcast. <laughs>